for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, congratulations to uh, all our seniors. If I missed you, please let me get me an email. We're going to be running this the next couple of weeks as well. And uh, I, I know it's a tough year for you, and we want to be able to uh, celebrate a little bit uh, with you as well. So uh, thanks, first of all, for, for joining us. Uh, it looks like we're in the process of things in our area starting to open back up. Uh, this weekend, uh, the restaurants in our area and salons and things like that started to open back up on a limited basis. So we are in the process right now of assessing exactly where we are and what we will need to do as we go forward. So uh, one of the tools that the leadership team and I are using is, the, uh, is an assessment tool. Uh, it was put out by the Varna Group, and then we've added some questions of our own that are unique to our ministry. And uh, I'll have the link there on the Facebook page. Uh, with this video as well as uh, on our email uh, that we send out on Monday. But uh, that we're going to close that as of Friday. So I need you sometime this week to get on, uh, get that information to us. Uh, it's really simple. It's anonymous. Uh, about 17 questions takes you about uh, three to five minutes. But we as a leadership team are going to take the answers that we get from that and make some decisions as we go forward. So it's really important that you, you be honest with us. Tell us what you, how you feel. Uh, we're trying to assess exactly where we are as a, as a, as a congregation uh, and what issues that we, we need to address as we go forward. So uh, please take the time to do that. because uh, and, and when it's all over, by the way, we're going to send you out all the results. So you will see the exact same thing that our leadership team sees. So you will know exactly what uh, uh, what information we had when we make the decisions that we made. So um, I just want to encourage you with that. Get on our email list if you're not. Um, that's our, been our primary way to communicate. So it kind of lets us uh, be able to tell you things that we don't necessarily want to put on a public platform uh, like Facebook or, or YouTube. So uh, that's where we are. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for giving us this day. Lord, we have food, we have clothing, we have shelter. And Lord, that is enough. And Lord, we just thank you that you have given us um, another day. Lord, everything we have is a result of your goodness and grace to us. So Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in, our, in this country at this time. Lord, would you guide our leaders as they have to make decisions in uh, the days ahead. Uh, Lord, for, for our missionaries, uh, particularly those who are out of country, that, Lord, you would watch over them in a, in a unique way as they try to minister and, and find unique ways to take care of the people you've called them to. Uh, Lord, as uh, things open back up, Lord, would you give us uh, direction and discernment, wisdom, guidance in every aspect of it, Lord, to do that which um, is wise and prudent and honors you that, uh, Lord, continues to meet the needs. And, uh, Lord, open our hearts as we um, open your word this morning. Uh, we want to hear, but more importantly, Lord, we want to do and apply and, and, and live differently this week, Lord, as a result of, of your word in our lives. So, so, so help us, Lord. Draw us closer to one another. Continue to uh, guide and, and direct and, and meet needs. And, uh, Lord, when it is all said and done, May you receive the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, if you've been with us, uh, we are uh, walking through the life of Moses. And this is actually our 11th message in this. And uh, 
regardless of what we decide as far as going forward. And, and when we start meeting again, we're going to continue this online. So for these of you that are watching, don't feel like you're going to have to miss out or, or, or anything like that. But uh, we're, we've made the commitment now to continue this as we go forward. Um, we have talked about Moses from uh, actually from birth uh, all the way up to the point that we have him now. Moses is somewhere around 80 years old. Uh, we have talked about his first 40 years in Egypt. We've talked about uh, his, first, his next 40 years in the desert. Now we're in the last 40 years um, of his life where he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, we have talked about the plagues. We have talked about uh, Pharaoh. We have talked about the Red Sea principles. Last week we talked about um, the idea that uh, Israel, three days after the Red Sea, came to Mara. Uh, it was a place of discouragement. And then uh, to Elam, a place of encouragement. And so this morning, um, we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16. And uh, I want to encourage you because I, in a time like this, I don't get to go through the whole uh, story. Uh, I can't read all of the verses, so I have to kind of pick and choose. And, and, I really, and then I fill in the blanks. Uh, and, and I really would like you to read it for yourself because as you read it, God's going to impress different things upon your heart uh, than he has mine. So uh, I'm just going to hit the highlights of things that I think are, are applicable to where we are right now uh, as a culture and, and as a church and as a community. So, uh, so we're in Exodus chapter 16, and here's what the text says. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt. So just so you know, this is about 30 days since they have left Egypt. So we're about a month into their journey. And here's what it says. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And you're going to see this a lot. But notice what it goes on to say. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses and Aaron, have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So what we have is, we have Israel now about 30 days into their journey, and all of a sudden they come to Moses and they come to Aaron. And they start accusing them. And they start saying, look, the reason that we're out here, you brought us out here, God brought us out here to kill us. Um, we don't have anything to eat. And we're hungry. It's interesting. Um, in, this, in, this, uh, in this passage here in Exodus chapter 16, uh, I think nine times in 12 verses, the idea of grumbling or griping or uh, complaining is mentioned. And, and murmur, griping, murmur as it's used often in this text, has the idea of to hold on to. It's the idea that Israel wouldn't let this go. And you're going to see this over and over again with the children of Israel. You're going to watch them continually uh, come up against issues and gripe and grumble and, and, and all of that. And, and, and I want you to notice what they do. They gripe and grumble at the leadership. They look at the leaders who are leading them, Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron didn't want to do this in the first place. But this is, what God, this is the position God had for them. And so they're put in this position, and Moses and Aaron, as the leaders, take the brunt of all of their frustration and their murmuring and their griping. And let me just say something to those of you who are in leadership. Look, I understand that you don't necessarily like or, or, or the position that you're in. You'd, good leaders, I've often learned, would always have somebody else do it if they could. 
But God has put you in a position of leadership. And because you're in a position of leadership, you need to know people are going to gripe and people are going to grumble and people are going to take the shots. I mean, as pastor of this church, I've learned this. As pastor of any church, you learn this. And the idea is this, that no matter what decision you make, there are people who are not going to be happy with it. I mean, as we go forward, you know, we're, we're going to have to make decisions. And, and people, there are going to be people who are going to be excited about it, and there's going to be people who don't like it. There is no way to make everybody happy. And the larger the group, the harder it is. And so what happens here is these people gripe and grumble and complain against Moses. By the way, we're going to look at how Moses and Aaron handle that in a second. But I just want you to notice that what they do is they start griping and grumbling at the leadership um, that God has put over them. So uh, the text goes on, uh, and here's what it says. It says, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? And he goes on. Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. I think it's really interesting here. As we look at this passage and as we go through it, one of the things that Moses does is he and Aaron go to the people and they say, okay, listen, God has heard you and God is going to take care of you. And God is going to give you meat in the evening. He's going to give you bread in the morning. And he reminds the people to turn back to God. And he says, look, you, you, don't, don't fight against God here. Turn back to God. And then, kind of as a caveat here, Moses says, and by the way, you're not grumbling against us. Your gripe and your complaint is against God himself. And Moses here lays out a principle, and I think it's a really good principle for us to keep in mind, uh, particularly during this time um, in, 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 the, in the crisis that, that, that we're up against. And that's this. When you and I gripe against leadership, our real gripe is with God because God is the one who put that leadership in place. Now, before you go getting all, all constitutional on me here, all right, I understand that we're in America. I understand that, that uh, you know, we're of the people, by the people. I, I, I get that whole concept. I get the whole concept of the Constitution, the constitutional rights and infringement on our rights and all of that. I understand all of that. I get that. I'm not arguing against that. But I am arguing about this. Often you see in Scripture a very, very clear distinction where God says, I'm the one who puts up authority. And when you gripe against authority, you're griping against God. And there are very few exceptions in the Scripture where you and I are encouraged to go against authority in a clear-cut manner. And I just want to caution you here because one of the things that I think is easy for us is we focus on our rights and we focus on the Constitution. We focus on, on some of the freedoms that we think are being stripped away. And they may be being stripped away. I'm not going to argue that. But one of the things that you and I have to remember is this. We have to be careful because it is a very, very paper-thin line when we start griping and grumbling against the authority that God has set over us. And I think you need to be very, very cautious here. Um, and, and this is what I would say to you. God has not put you in that position. 
And if you think you can do a better job and that God has called you that position, then you go run for offense. Because it's really easy to armchair quarterback stuff. It's really easy to take shots at the leaders. Um, I, I like, again, I, I'm not a military person. I, I am pro-military. I have two boys in the, in the guard. Um, we have people here in the guard, and, and I, am, I, I am a pro-military person, okay? Uh, so, uh, you know, but I, I did not grow up in that world. I was not surrounded by that world. It's a world that I'm learning about, and we have people here in the military. And, I, and one of the things that I've been told is that in the military, one of the things that you're, you're taught when you learn to salute is that you are saluting the position, not necessarily the person. Because one of the things that you learn in the military, like anything else, is there are good leaders and there are bad leaders. But you always recognize and you always salute and you always honor the position, regardless of what the person is like. And I think that's a good principle for us as Christians. We always honor the position of leaders God has put in our lives. Because we understand that God has put them there, regardless of who they are. And I think that's important because I see people fighting against it. And it is a very fine line as a Christian to go down this road. So I want to encourage you to be really careful here. Because one of the things that Moses brings out to these people is, look, your beef is not with us. Your real beef is with God who put us in this place. And you're going to see this play out over and over again in the lives of the children of Israel. Because they continually gripe against Moses and Aaron and ultimately, their beef, their gripe is with God, and God ultimately deals with that. So I just want to caution you to be careful there. But going on in the story, here's what it says. <clears throat> it says, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And then in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said each to, each, uh, to the other, what is it? Literally, the word is man-ha. So the idea is, what is it? Man-ha means, what is it? Um, for they did not know what it was. Uh, so they get up that morning, and basically, the ground is covered with something that probably looks like this. It looks like kind of a, a, a snowish kind of thing. And then, as the day starts to heat up, what happens is, it now then turns into this idea of, of these flakes, these dried flakes that are on the ground. So the people get up and they see this thing and they go, what is it? And, 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 and that's what they start calling it. They call it, what is it? Uh, I like what one guy said, so they call it, whatchamacallit. Um, it's kind of like an Abbott and Costello routine. You know, you get up, what is it? I, exactly. Well, well, what is it? That's exactly right. It's, what is it? It's, it's manna. What is it? And so they don't know what to call it, so they just call it, whatchamacallit, or what is it? Um, and that's literally the idea behind the idea of manna. So here's the story. Now, this is where you got to really go back and read in, in Exodus 16, because I'm going to cover a lot of ground uh, right now. <clears throat> but here's basically what happened. Um, that evening, after Moses meets the people, as the people are standing around, a cloud starts coming towards them, and it's a cloud full of quail. And as the quail get over Israel, they just drop, and they die. So Israel literally starts going around picking up quail and, 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 and eating them and, and, and putting them over a fire, and, and they get filled with meat that night. Now, again, they've been traveling almost 30 days. This is probably the first meat meal that they've had, uh, although you know, they may have got started to go through some of the cattle and, and, and sheep and other things. But for the most part, for, for the whole group, everybody here gets to eat this. And so 
they, they eat the quail, um, and they have quail that night. And then they get up the next morning, um, and there is manna um, on the ground. What you going to call it? Uh, they see the dew in the morning, and then they watch it turn into flakes, and then they go out and pick it up. And so God had some very, very specific um, instructions to Israel. Um, one, one is that they were, they were to collect um, as much as they needed for that day. Uh, an omer, which uh, typically was, was somewhere around uh, eight to nine cups, so about two quarts per person. Uh, they were to, um, as the day got farther along, when it started to get hot, it went away. So it was something you had to get in the morning. Uh, they, at the end of the day, they were to take the manna and they were to throw it out. They were not to keep it overnight. The idea behind manna was the idea that God was going to take care of you that day. He was going to give you enough for that day. And then when they got to Friday, um, and Saturday was the Sabbath or the Shabbat, what they would do is they would say, okay, on Friday, you need to collect twice as much because on Sabbath, there's, it's a day of rest. There's not going to be manna out there. So you need to get enough for that day. And so that's what the instructions were from Moses and Aaron to the children of Israel. And Exodus 16 kind of tells us what happened. So um, let me give you, uh, you know me, I'm a big person who likes to illustrate stuff so that we can remember it. So uh, I bought, I got, I, got a, I got a thing of Frosted Flakes this week, which manna would have probably been very, very similar to, um, to Frosted Flakes. Um, so this is a, is a picture. So let me give you a ballparkish idea here. Um, this, is, this is about, um, this is about two quarts or about eight cups. Uh, it was called an omer. Uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament. So what God said was, what I want you to do is I want you to go in and I want you to get about an omer per person uh, for the day. So what would have happened is I would have gone out and I would have collected about this much for me. Now, since it's my wife and I, um, I would have collected uh, the whole picture because I would collect, uh, you know, uh, an omer for me and an omer for her. So we would have almost a picture. But the Bible was, really, it was like, okay, those who want more can get more, but those who uh, want less. So for my wife, it would be like, I would get, I would get the whole two quarts here, and my wife would probably get a quart because um, we just eat differently. So uh, this is the idea. This is what we would collect for the day. <clears throat> and so the Bible says that's, that was the process. Um, that was a process. So basically then, um, here was, here's what would happen. You would get up that day, uh, and, and what would happen is, as you would, as you would get up, this is what you would see kind of all over the ground. So you would now have to get up, and you would have to now then start to collect the, what you needed for that day in order to be able to have um, God take care of and provide for your, your meal for that day. So I would work that morning, and I would come up, and I would get enough manna for that day. So that as a, as a, as a believer, as a, as a follower of God now, I've got my, my two omers for the day. <clears throat> and you can do whatever you want with it. You can boil it, bake it, fry it. I'm sure they came up, they, they had this every day for 40 years. So you're going to come up with a lot of ways to make manna. Uh, personally, if it was me, I, I would find a way to automate it. So there would be like a Thomas uh, Omer collector 
where I could just scoop it all up at once and, and be done with it. But, and then I could sell it and I could have a business. It'd be awesome. But anyway, so, so, so this is the idea. The idea is this is what would happen. Now, Exodus 16 talks about how the pe- what the people did. And it said, there were some people that rather than do what God asked to do, what they did is they took the, they took the, 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 the collection that morning and they said, you know what? I don't want to get it tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get more than my omer. I'm going to get like 10 omers. And I'm going to collect 10 omers. I'm gonna, that way, you know what? I, don't, I can go out like every three days and, and, and I'll be fine. So I'm going to hoard my manna is, is what I'm going to do. So, you know, we went through this toilet paper thing. And, and we're starting to see this, you know, now, now it's like the meat thing and, and where people are starting to hoard this stuff and, and collect all this. This isn't new. This is the way people respond. And so there were people who put, who collected more. And at the end of the day, rather than throw it out, they said, ha, I'm ahead of this game. Tomorrow when I get up, I don't have to get, I'll sleep in tomorrow because I don't have to get my, my manna for the day. And the Bible says, literally, when they got up that next day and they opened up the lid, it was full of maggots and worms and everything else. And they had to throw it out. And they didn't get anything to eat that day. And Moses comes to him and chews them out. He's like, just obey God. Do it God's way. Don't keep trying to second guess God. Now, here's the thing. Let's say you were one of those hoarder people. And you had, you, uh, so you get up the next day and it's maggots. Now, God says, on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice as much. And you're like, no, 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 no. I learned my lesson the first time. I did that the first time. And you know what? I'm not getting up the next day to man. I'm going to, on the Sabbath, I'm going to get up and just go get my man on the Sabbath. I'm not going to do this thing. And literally the text says that the next day on the Sabbath, there were people who were up looking for manna, but there was no manna. And again, Moses chews them out. And he goes, look, just simply listen to God and do what God says to do. And it's a simple principle, but it is so important that we understand this. Because what God was trying to illustrate to the children of Israel is this. I'm going to give you enough for the day. You're going to have to do it my way. You're going to have to trust me, but I will take care of you. You need to do it the way that I say to do it. And so you have this story of the children of Israel going through this whole process of trying to learn to be obedient to God. And by the way, for 40 years... Every day for 40 years, Israel woke up to manna, except on the Sabbath days. And on the Sabbath days, there was no manna. It was a constant reminder of God's presence with the children of Israel. So that's the story. And then you come to the end of chapter 16, and here's what it says. The end of chapter 16 says this. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like wafers made with honey, hence the Frosted Flakes idea. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, keep it for generations to come so that they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put, it in, uh, of, of, uh, a jar, put an omer of uh, manna in it, place it before the Lord, to be kept for the generations to come. And it goes on. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenants of the law so that it might be preserved. So basically what you have is you have within the Ark of the Covenant, you have uh, the manna, you have uh, Aaron's rod, and and the tablets of stone. That's ultimately what's going to be in there. And it says, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled 
and they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So what you see here is you see in a situation in which basically God says, look, because you're in a situation where you cannot take care of yourselves, you need to know I'm going to take care of you every single day. Um, and that's the story. Next is chapter 16. Now let's talk about some principles because this thing is just packed full of principles that, that I think are great for us, uh, particularly in light of everything that's going on right now. The first idea, of, uh, the first idea behind this uh, concept of manna is this idea of obedience. Um, God was basically trying to teach Israel, listen, you need to obey me. You need to listen to me. If I say to do it this way, Israel, that's the way you need to do it. And over and over again, you're going to see Israel has a real problem with it. You're going to see that Israel constantly is fighting God. Instead of doing it God's way, they're always trying to take shortcuts. And this is what you're going to find. If you in life try to take shortcuts, if you try to do it your way instead of God's way, you need to know God's way is the best way to do it. And God knows that. He created you. He knows that. And he has set out ways for us to function. And when you and I go against that, one of the things that we do is it, we end up paying a price for it. Um, I often tell kids, particularly, particularly teenagers, you can do the hard things now and life will get easier. Or you can do the easy things now and life will get harder. And when I watch kids in high school take shortcuts, I often watch them pay for it in college or, 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 or in their job situation later. And all of a sudden now, it's like, oh, life is so hard for me. Well, life is hard because you took the easy way at the beginning. Instead of doing the hard things, you know, it's like uh, one, of the thing, one of the principles that I have is if I have a list of two or three projects, I always tackle the hardest one first because then I have the energy to do the easier ones because if you do the easy ones first, life gets harder. And so I, I just want to challenge you with this, that, that, that one of the things you learn in the, in the manna principle is, is obedience. You learn to do it the way God says to do it. And then you learn this interesting concept about God's part and man's part. And I want to address them both um, separately. There's a God aspect to our life and there's a, there's a responsibility aspect to our life. Um, you see this in salvation. God offers salvation, but man has to accept it and embrace it. Um, you see this in, over and over again where God says, okay, I'll do my part, but this is what you need to do. And in this case, you see, first of all, God's part. God's part is this. God says, look. Um, I'm going to take care of you. Every day that you get up, there will be something for you to eat. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told, it's emphasized this way, having food and raiment, be content. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm noticing this time of year at our house, you know, bunnies and, rabbit, uh, bunnies and, and, uh, um, and, and rabbits too, but, but, and birds and things like that. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't feed them. I don't take care of them, but they manage. God takes care of them. Uh, the New Testament principle, God says, look, I, I, I take care of the flowers of the fields. I take care of the birds in the air. I, I can handle your stuff. And one of the things that you see in the manna principle is this. God took care of them. And that should be enough. And, and I think this is probably one of the best principles for us to sit back and embrace right now during all that we're going through. And my question to you this morning is, has God taken care of you today? Has God taken care of you today? Because if he has, that should be enough. And you go, oh, yeah, pastor, yeah, God's taking care of me. I, I get that, but you don't understand. I, I don't know if I'm going to have a job here in a couple weeks. Stop, time out, stop. Has God taken care of you today? Yes, then that's enough. 
Well, you, you don't understand. I got a doctor's appointment. I don't know what the doctor's going to say. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. Stop. Has God taken care of you today? Then that should be enough. You go, yeah, but you don't understand. You know, I mean, finances and things are getting way behind the eight ball. And I don't know what's going to stop. Has God taken care of you today? Then that should be enough. That's the principle of manna. God said, look, I'm going to take care of you today. If you're going to try to hoard it and worry about tomorrow, it's going to get rotted and stinky. It's not going to do you any good. <clears throat> I'm giving you enough manna to take care of you today. That should be enough. And we've got to learn to really embrace this because I tell you what, one of the things you're seeing right now is because the, the future is so uncertain, because there are so many questions out there, because nobody knows what it's going to look like. It's easy to get overwhelmed by that instead of stopping and asking the man a question. Has God taken care of you today? Because if the answer to that is yes, and it is, the fact that you're listening, the fact that you got up today, the fact that you've had something to eat, that should be enough. That should be enough. God has taken care of you today. And we sometimes get so bent out of shape because we get focused on all of our time. Well, you don't understand, you know, I mean, I could get exposed and then this could happen and then this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, that. Stop. Has God taken care of you today? That should be enough. That's what God was trying to teach Israel. All right, I will take care of you today. That should be enough. By the way, what's going to be interesting with the children of Israel? It's not enough. And Israel is just like us. We want more. And God tries to illustrate from the beginning of this journey, I will give you enough to take care of you today. That should be enough. And I want to challenge you because here's the bottom line. If you are honest this morning, God is taking care of you today. And that should be enough. But we try to get ahead of this and we start focusing on all of the stuff that we don't need to be focusing on. God has taken care of you today. The second aspect of this is an aspect in which there are some things God expected of them. God expected them to be obedient. God expected them to get up and to collect what, what he had provided for them. There was, I provided it, now you need to go do your part and collect it. God could have said, every morning when you get up, there'll be a full jar, a full omer there for you, and you won't have to do anything. But no, God has always established this principle of work, this, this, this principle of individual responsibility. Um, you see it in the garden before the fall, where God said, okay, Adam, <clears throat> I've got a job for you. Here's your job. This is what you're responsible for. And so you see that inherent. You see that inherent in the New Testament. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Now, I'm not talking about disability or people that can't work. I'm talking about people that can work. And I think that's one of the issues that I see coming in our country right now, is we have people that because of this um, have had to go on unemployment. And in the unemployment thing and, and, and the bill that was made, all of a sudden now we have people who, because of the way it's set up, are actually making more money in unemployment than they were when they were working. And, and I don't have a problem with, with that. I, I understand the crisis need and all of that kind of thing. But what's going to happen is we're going to have people that are going to have to make a decision. Do I go back to work for less money? Um, or do I stay on unemployment? And what I see is, what you're failing to understand is there's an ethical biblical principle here. And the ethical biblical principle is if you can work, you should work. Um, 
even in manna, God expected you to get up. If you decided that you wanted to sleep until afternoon, then you didn't eat that day. Or you had to beg it off to somebody else who was taking care of you. God said, there's a responsibility for you every day to get up, to get what you need for the day, and then I will provide it, but you're going to have to go, go get it. And God establishes that principle. So there's a, there's a responsibility part. So what I would say to you is when the opportunity comes, for those of you who have been in that situation, when the opportunity comes for you to go back to your job, you go, well, it doesn't make financial sense. I'm making less money. Well, it's not about making less money. It's about doing what's right ethically and biblically. And ethically and biblically, you and I should work when we can work. It, it, it's just a clear, it's a clear cut principle. You see it from Genesis to Revelation. And so one of the things that you see here is there, there's a responsibility on their part to go do what they need to do. And that's what I would challenge you with. Um, some of you are in a situation where as, as, as this thing starts to open up, you're going to have opportunity in front of you. And you're going you're to face this dilemma of what do I do? And the reality of it is you should do that which is biblical, um, not what that which is, is, is um, how do I want to say it, not that which is convenient or that which is easiest. Again, I go back to easy versus hard. So you see that laid out. You see a God part of this where God provides. You see a responsibility part on it where they needed to do something. Um, <clears throat> the last thing I think that you see is this issue of, of, um, of griping and complaining. I, I'm amazed how many times that, first of all, I'm amazed at how God responds. And when they gripe and grumble and complain, God takes care of them. In fact, God gives them a special meal. They, they gripe, grumble, and complain, and God actually gives them a, a prime rib kind of meal with, 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 with the quail that night. Um, because, again, God's trying to illustrate to them, look, I brought you out. I'm going to take care of you. Um, if I wanted to, God doesn't say this, but the idea is, look, if I wanted to wipe you out, I would have done it in Egypt. But I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you every day. And yet, what you find, and you're going to see this over and over and over again in the children of Israel, they gripe, grumble, and complain. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Bubba Gump uh, or, or in Forrest Gump uh, when, when, he, when he meets Bubba, the shrimp guy. And, and, and Bubba says, you know, have you ever had shrimp? You know, you can do everything with shrimp. You can make shrimp creole and shrimp, shrimp baked shrimp, and you can boil it. And you can, you can, he goes through this whole big list of everything, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And it's kind of like, I'm sure that's the way Israel felt. A manna this, and you can boil it, and you can fry it, and you can add this to it. And, and, and they were trying to figure out all these ways to come up with manna. And after a while, they get tired of manna. We'll get to that uh, down the line. And uh, they gripe and grumble and complain to God. And <clears throat> if you know me, you know the one thing that I have very little patience for is people who gripe, grumble, and complain. Um, I, I learned from a businessman this idea that um, if, if you want to present to me a problem, um, then you bring two solutions to me. Um, you let me know that you've thought through this thing, that you have some solutions, not just simply that you just want to vent and, and, and tell me everything that you're all upset about with no forethought of how to fix what you, you're dealing with. So one of the things that I, I, I've always done as far as in leadership is, you know what, um, you better bring me two solutions. Um, otherwise, I'm just not going to spend a lot of time on something that you don't even have the, the time, to, the effort to spend time on. Uh, if it's that important and it needs to be fixed, then you be creative enough to come up with some ways to fix it. And between both of us, we can get stuff fixed. But one of the things that you learn about gripers and complainers and murmurers and, and those kind of people is they're never satisfied. 
There's always something they're griping about. There's always something in their crawl that they won't let go of. Um, and every time, it doesn't take long for the conversation to get to that thing with them. And often they're always taking shots at leadership. And the reality of it is, a lot of them who take the shots at leadership are, have never been in leadership positions. Um, they're doing the armchair quarterback thing where they're, they're second guessing everything. You know, I, I've often said this. You know, for people who referee or umpire or, or, or things like that, it's easy to be the referee or the umpire when you're in the stand. If you're so good at it, go down and get your license and go start calling games. Oh, I don't want to do that, you know, because, you know, it, why, why? Because when you're in that position, it's different. And gripers and grumblers and complainers, they're always taking their shots. And they're always, and, and, and it just feeds. And that's what happens with Israel. A, people, a bunch of people start griping, grumbling, complaining, and it just spreads crazy throughout the place. And one of the things that you see is that one of the ways that, that, that God deals with this, one of the ways that will help you from being that kind of person where you just hold on to stuff and won't let go and you find yourself even now, you know, you've been cooped up long enough now that you find yourself griping and complaining about this and, you know, you know well, my spouse doesn't make the meal right and I don't do this and I don't do it. And you find yourself starting to nitpick at all these kinds of things. Here's what you need to do. You need to stop. You're griping and grumbling and complaining. And you need to ask yourself what you have to be grateful for. One of the, one of the solutions to griping and grumbling and murmuring and complaining is gratefulness. And this attitude of gratitude that says, you know what? I'm going to stop and take inventory of what I have, not what I don't have. Because what happens is Israel, they, they lose this completely. They actually come to Moses and they say, it was better in Egypt. What do you mean it was better in Egypt? You, your workload had been doubled. Your materials had been taken away. You were getting beaten. People were losing their lives. You had been crying out to God for years to deliver you. And now you're sitting around going, oh, the good old days of Egypt when we had plenty of meat to eat. And forgetting about all the horrible things that were going on. Because you, you, they became disillusioned and that's what happened. You know, I see this a lot of times when I'm talking to this old people. Oh, I'd love to have the good old days. I don't want the good old days back. I don't want the good old days where I've got to take a pot, fill it up with water, put it on a stove, wait for it to boil, put my coffee in, wait till a little percolate in that little thing, and then pour it into a cup. No, I don't want those days back. I want to be able to go to my little Keurig rack, pick out the pot of the flavor that I have, that I desire at that moment, pop it in a thing, punch a button, and within two minutes have a specialized cup of coffee exactly like I like it. That's what I want. I don't want the old days of, of, you know, putting wood in a in a stove and heating it all up so I can make a sandwich or so that I can cook something. No, I want to turn a button. I want to go to a microwave and punch in a time and walk away. I, you know, we we we, we so uh, I don't know how you say it. We we get we get we so glamorize the old days because we forget about all the other things. You know, I don't want to go to the time. When I want to be able to say, Siri, what about this? I don't want to have to go to a rack of books of an encyclopedia and look something up and find out, oh, when I'm looking up, I have to have the supplement to the encyclopedia and hope that what I'm, the information that I want is in there. <clears throat> I don't want those days back. Are there things about it that I like? Yes, there are things about it I like, but I'm not going to glamorize the old days. And that's what happened with Israel. They had become so disillusioned with where they were 
And instead of being grateful for the fact that God had delivered them, they weren't in bondage anymore. They were free. God was taking care of them every day. Instead of focusing on that, they wanted to focus on griping and grumbling and complaining about how good it would be in the old days. And as we go forward, that's a great lesson for us. Because there's going to be a great tendency for us to go, oh, you know, you remember the good old days? Were there good things about it? Yes. But the new normal is, is going to be different. And it will be easy to gripe and grumble and complain instead of just going through and saying, okay, how can we fix this? What can we do? And that's my challenge to you. Because it's easy for us to do that. So what you do is you, as we come, as we start walking through this thing in the, in the months and years ahead, we sit back and we go, what lessons do we learn? What were some good things that came out of this time that we want to continue on? What were some things that we were doing before that we want to get rid of? We sit back and we're honest about evaluating where we are in this situation and we're grateful for God taking care of us every day. And what I would challenge you with this morning is this idea of, has God taken care of you today? If so, that's enough. And we've got to get back to that instead of griping and grumbling and whining and complaining about, well, how come it's not like this and this should be happening and this and it's so easy to go down that road. And we don't want to be those people. That's the lesson from Israel. And the lesson from the manna is God's given you enough for today. God's taking care of you for today. That should be enough. Because by the way, let's be honest, none of us are guaranteed that we'll be tomorrow. So you know what? We need to learn to live with God daily, taking care and meeting our needs and not get too far ahead in, in, in dealing with the stuff that's in front of us down the road. So as I wrap it up this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with this idea that manna is a reminder that God takes care of us every day. It's important that we learn to trust and walk with God daily. We have to learn contentment and not gripe and grumble at what God has provided. And as you go forward this week, We've got to focus on doing things the way God says to do it, not the way that we think it should be done. And we need to go through this week with an attitude of gratitude for all that God has done because God has taken care of us this day. He has met our needs for this day. That should be enough. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it is so easy. It is so easy to get spoiled. It is so easy to lose focus. It is so easy, Lord, to want to nitpick at, at, at the way we think things ought to go. But Lord, help us. Give us grace. Give us wisdom to know when to keep our mouths shut. Help us to know, Lord, and to, and to recognize the fact that you have taken care of our need, that you are providing, that you have given us this day. And Lord, nothing past this day is guaranteed but we have this moment. So, Lord, may we live in light of that. And, Lord, thanks for taking care of us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. But, Lord, you have chosen to take care of us. So I thank you for that, Lord. And just help us this week to become more grateful and more thankful for all that we have. Because, Lord, it is all a gift from your hand. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, um, that ends our time. I, I hope you will help us. Please, please, please uh, take the assessment. 
Um, that lets us know as, as we try to make decisions for the future. Um, thanks for joining us. We do look forward to hearing from you. So if you get a chance, um, drop us an email. Let us know uh, if there's anything that we can do to help. Um, please uh, let us know. So stay encouraged. Um, encourage one another this week. And most of all, be grateful because God has taken care of you today. Lord bless you. Have a great week.